Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Um, good afternoon. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, thank you for that prayer, Ryan. We know that God is a God who hears our prayers. And just looking out at you all there as we're bowed and praying to our Father in heaven. He listens, he hears, um, and we can trust um, We can trust our God that he's going to bring good for moments uh, like this in our world and, and use it for his glory and the good of his people. Uh, well, if you are joining us, uh, we've been in the book of Colossians. Neil has taken us through uh, most of chapter one. And we are in uh, chapter one, verse 24. And we're going to read through uh, to verse five in a few minutes time. Uh, what we'll be thinking about this morning, this morning, I've said it already, and you told me exactly not to say it. I've done it several times every time I've stepped up here. This afternoon, we're going to be thinking about the minister of Christ joyfully toils for the maturity of, of the church. The minister of Christ joyfully toils for the maturity of the church. And that's not someone who's stood behind the lectern. This is all of us. Those of us who are of the church, the church of Jesus Christ brought into his kingdom. We're all ministers to one another, to the people around us. And that's what we'll be thinking about today. Let me give you a bit of context behind what we're, uh, we're looking at in the book of Colossians. You see, Paul, uh, he is in jail currently in Rome. And Epaphras, the minister in the church of Colossae that Paul has planted, he's visiting from Ephesus. Epaphras was, was saved by Paul's ministry and he goes to plant in Colossae and Laodicea in, in Turkey, where we've just mentioned. And Colossae was quite an affluent city uh, when it was uh, in, its, in its origins and it was just off this Roman road. So the Romans had built a road that went straight through it and it was very affluent. But what happened, unfortunately, to Colossae was that the Romans actually moved the road and that the road ended up moving through Laodicea. So what happens to uh, this Colossian church is it in the city that it's in, it loses its stature and money stops coming into it. It just becomes this kind of backwater uh, little town. Uh, But the amazing thing is in this book of Colossians is we find some key doctrinal truths that really aren't mentioned anywhere in the New Testament, which which we're going to we're going to pick out throughout this series. Um, and, And Paul puts these into his book in Colossians. He writes this to this now, what's considered like this nobody church in many people's eyes because it's this backwater town. And I, I want us just before we dive into this passage, let's take comfort in that, that col- this Colossian church was this little backwater church that nobody really, really cared about. It was a small, seemingly insignificant church. And yet God gives these massive doctrinal truths through Paul to this Colossian church. And can we just feel that for a second that maybe we've felt that a little bit about maybe ourselves in this little area in Lark Lane God cares about us God really cares about us Liberty Church and if you're from another church as well you're visiting today God cares about you he cares about you so much he shows that in this Colossian church here and he cares about us this morning a bit more context before we dive into the passage there are many false teachers in this situation And they're coming into this Colossian church and they're teaching the need for various things. This circumcision to make them righteous before God. um, Hyper-spirituality, ascending them to a higher level of spiritual life and keeping food laws. Um, The title of this sermon series is Christ Alone. Christ Alone. And Paul wants to teach these Colossians that's all they need. All they need to teach. All Epaphras, this minister at Colossae, needs to teach them is Christ is Christ alone. And that's what we'll be thinking about this morning. Uh, the passage leads us to look at Paul's ministry and his desire for his brothers and sisters in Christ 
And what we'll be thinking about here is how we can imitate his Christ-like love and ministry to one another. That's what we'll be thinking about this afternoon. So why don't we pray um, just briefly and then we'll read this passage in Colossians 1. Father, I pray that as we look at your word, I pray that you would, um, through your Holy Spirit, help us to understand your son, Jesus Christ, uh, that bit more. And we, we would fall in love with him. Lord, help us to realise that we would, uh, that we need to minister to one another. We need to serve one another. We need to toil uh, for one another in love. And I pray that you would uh, enable us to do that as we, um, as we read this passage, as we think about what you have to say to us this afternoon. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's read the passage uh, in the ESV. If you need a, a Bible, there's some at the back. I'm sure um, Rebecca can hand some of that out to you. But the title is, passion, uh, is t- the passage is titled Paul's Ministry to the Church. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am, being, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I, Paul, became a minister according to the stewardship from God. That was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter two. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As I was preparing um, this sermon, I took one of the key words that uh, appear in this passage and it's the word to toil uh, and I went and looked for so synonyms it's a difficult word always to say that that's synonyms but right clicked on the word on uh, Microsoft Office had a look at the words and some of them were to struggle and um, to labor to exert every effort to sweat and to grind some words there that make us shake with just the idea of hard work so when we think of these words we are often implying something quite negative Many of us are afraid of hard work. Sometimes maybe we even avoid it. Um, Ryan, you didn't help me with the chairs at the start. I'm just going to make that clear to everybody. I lifted them all. You didn't do anything. Um, He he did. I'm joking. Uh, Or may do hard work, but we hate the thought of it completely. You may even look at a task where you can see how fruitful the end goal of that task is. But the process of toiling and striving to get to that goal is just an ugly thought. Either you avoid the task altogether, maybe you procrastinate. I'm thinking of university students when I was there, I procrastinated all the time. Or you get the job done, but you do it in a begrudging manner. See, I wonder whether you know someone who's a bit different to that, who sets goals. They see how wonderful that end goal and objective is. They see the hard work and the toil it involves to get there. But they take that task on. 
and they even enjoy the process and the exertion to get to that goal. They love the work as much as the end goal. See that person that you're thinking of, a little bit crazy, probably. But I've got a great example of someone like that. My father, my father is a great example of this. He used to be a landscape gardener. Um, and he loved and still loves because he does it from time to time. He loves seeing his vision slowly come to fruition. He loves the planning element of it. Uh, he loves the gathering of the resources that he needs to get this garden into shape. The first paving stone he lays down, uh, the creation of the cement to hold the flags in place, uh, the heavy work of lifting more flags into place as well. The long projects, they simply don't put him off. He's not finished by the end of the week. There may be more weeks to go in that project. And at his age, he's going to come home and he does come home and he aches after the physical laborious work. And the work has cost him quite dearly in his old age, 63, he's getting on a bit. But what he does is at the end of the day, when he comes home to mum and then whenever we're around, he'll get his phone out and he'll show photos of the progress that he's been making. And he'll say, look, look what I've done today. Look how many flags I've put down. Um, look at all this brilliant work that has been done today. He'll share those photos with the entire family. The WhatsApp will ping and ping and ping with the amount of photos that he shares. He'll have joy in seeing his labours and toil change that garden. In this passage, Paul's stressing to the Colossians what hard toil he has and is putting into the church. Even from his prison cell, he's ministering. His goal is to mature this little church in Colossae to be more like Jesus. And he's suffering for it. Boy, boy, is he suffering. If you've read through his struggles, he's suffering greatly for it. He's losing every earthly thing he has because of this ministry. But he loves the people. The joy he experiences in this ministry and seeing these people mature makes all that suffering thoroughly worth it. So what we're going to see in this passage is that Paul is explaining a number of things about ministry. And for us today in our context, this little gathering of believers that we have here, just off of Lark Lane in Liberty Church, and for those visiting in your places of worship also. Let's see what Paul, and he's not the focus of this passage. Let's remember that Jesus Christ is the focus of this passage. By the power of the Holy Spirit is saying about how we as individuals and as a church, how we can minister to each other, how we can minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ and those outside of Christ the beauty of the gospel. That's what we ultimately want, isn't it, folks? That's what we want. We want Jesus to be magnified. And that happens in our ministry to one another by lifting up Jesus in our lives and the lives of others. And here Paul is showing us that we too can be ministers of Christ to the world. So I've got three simple points for us and then we'll go into application at the end. Uh, our first point is this. The ministry of Christ is the foundation for the ministry of the church. The ministry of Christ Jesus is the foundation for the ministry of the church. In verses 24 to 27, let's remind ourselves of what that says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
What is it that we are to minister? Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus Christ. We are to minister Jesus Christ. He is central. He is the foundation to our ministry as individuals and as this church body. Paul makes it clear to the Colossians here that Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone of whatever we teach, whatever we say and whatever we do. It says in that passage, I became a minister to make the word fully known, the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We don't need to add anything to our ministry. There's nothing we need to add. There is nothing we need to add to this ministry. The title of our sermon series is Christ Alone. That's exactly the ministry that Paul is calling the Colossians to here. A ministry that is centred around Jesus Christ. He does not want that ministry to be diluted. That will make it ineffective. Now we love in our house, we love a glass of Ribena. Ribena is delightful. Um, I quite like my Ribena quite strong. Um, When you add water or too much water to it, it becomes diluted to the taste and it becomes bitter comes bitter to the taste. Paul wants the church and us today to avoid diluting the ministry of Christ. Something that in this world that we live in, in this culture that we live in, many people are you know, tempted to do. We need to avoid doing that because Christ Jesus is the centre of our ministry. Anything else is bitter to the soul. Anything else will not do the soul good to those who hear it. The message of circumcision that the false teachers are trying to preach In Colossae was bitter and that was a false gospel. You see the gospel of Jesus Christ and only him is the sweet, sweet message and the foundation of the ministry that we should be given. See my old church in uh, Bethany Baptist Chapel in Pazakli in Liverpool, my family church, above the pulpits, uh, they had a very simple message and it's what we live by as a church. We preach Christ crucified. Very simple message. It needs very little adding to it, apart from the resurrection. Maybe it should be we preach Christ crucified and his resurrection. But what a simple message, gospel message that is. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to dilute it in any way to seemingly make it fit in with the culture around us. We preach Christ. Christ alone. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you know uh, your gospels, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee. But he was a bit different to the other Pharisees. He was really intrigued by this character of Jesus. And he goes to him and he asks him many questions. See, Jesus lays the gospel out to him very simply. And you know the famous verse, but it is, this is how simple our ministry has to be. We don't have to be scholars. We don't have to be spurgeons. We just need to preach a very simple message. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. And can I just use this opportunity here to to call out to anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. The message is so simple. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, uh, to the earth to live a perfect life in your place uh, and to take the wrath of God, the full wrath of God upon himself on that cross to remove the the, the wrath from you and that you can have eternal life because he rose again from the grave. That's what we believe as Christians. Jesus Christ is alive today. 
He has sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven and he has sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. If you would accept him into your life, you can have eternal life. That's the gospel call. And it's as simple as that. You simply have to call out to him and he will answer. The ministry of Christ is the foundation for the ministry of the church. See, Paul talks about how God revealed the mystery to him. Talking about the gospel work in our lives leads us to be ministers of the gospel. And that leads me on to my second point. As we have been ministered to by Christ, we now minister to others. If you're making notes, let me say that again. As we have been ministered to by Christ, we now minister to others. That's the call that we've been brought into. In verse 28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul was ministered to, wasn't he? He was ministered to by Christ on that road to Damascus where he had that Damascus experience. By Ananias also and by those who lived in Damascus. Christ had ministered to those converts also. And Paul, what does he do? He doesn't just take the message and do nothing with it. He ministers to others and that goes for us too we become ministers also once we have accepted christ into our lives if you know you have responded to the gospel call of john three sixteen, this is for you too it doesn't matter about giftings it doesn't matter about uh, being behind a pulpit it's got nothing to do with it ministry is for all of us it's something we're all called into ministry is our everyday presentation of the gospel to our brothers and sisters in christ and those who are not yet his So what's the goal of our ministry? What is the ultimate goal of our ministry? See, in verse 28, Paul makes that quite clear to us. He says that we may present everyone mature in Christ, that we will present everyone mature in Christ. See, Paul is very outward looking in his ministry. It's not about him. He's not self-serving. What he does is he lays down his rights for the sake of the church. See, and the people of God grow and mature in their love and pursuit of Jesus and what a challenge that is that ministry isn't about me ministry isn't about you ministry is sacrificial the end goal isn't about us when we minister it's about Jesus and it's about those that we minister to that is totally countercultural. the message of the gospel is totally countercultural. it means that we lay down our rights and we think about others and that's a challenge, isn't it? We're very inclined to just think about ourselves so often, put our feet up and, and rest and, and minister to ourselves in a way just to put our feet up. But that's not what we're called to do here. We're called to be countercultural and be ministers to others. See, we want ourselves and we want others to mature in Christ. See, that phrase there, maturity in Christ, what does that actually mean? Again, it's quite simple. We want the church to grow And we want them to grow more and more to look like Jesus. We want them to look more like Jesus, our saviour. That happens through imitation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn there, you can do, but I will read it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the same writer who writes the book of Colossae, Paul. Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He makes sure he puts that on the end. Don't imitate just me. I try and imitate Christ and I want you to look at me and see the things that I do that make much of Christ because that's only from Christ that I'm able to do those things. 
I saw a really funny video on, um, on Instagram the other day. And it was of two husky dogs. I know you're a big fan of husky dogs, Matt. But I wouldn't... It's very difficult to look after, so don't get one. But it was a really lovely, lovely video where this man who was on crutches, he was in his room and he had his leg up and he had his... Um, a massive bandage around his leg because he must have done something and his two husky dogs walk into the room and they're on three legs and they've got their other leg like that and they're hopping about around there they're imitating their master they're trying to be like their master and if any of you are um, are parents and obviously you guys are going to be parents soon children imitate their parents don't they they want to be like their parents they soak stuff off of their parents so your ministry us, if you are in the church, the body of Christ, your ministry is fueled by imitating Christ. So what I would call us to do is to look at Christ, to think about how he lived his life, think about how he saved, sorry, think about how he cared, think about some of the things that he did in his life where he showed his caring nature, he healed people. He went to that man who was at the pool of Bethsaida, and he ministered to him, he cared for him, he loved him. He knew exactly what was on that man's heart and mind. His teachings, he led people who were slow to understand. See, it must have been so difficult with his disciples. We hear of how slow to learn they were. And for me to be in that situation, I don't know how I'd have dealt with them. But Jesus is so loving to them. He cares for them and he leads them humbly. Look how humbly he served. He ate with sinners. He Spoke to, to, uh, to Zacchaeus and told him to get down, get down from that tree. And he takes him and he eats a meal with him. He spent time humbly serving and he washed his disciples' feet. God descended from heaven, stooping down on his human knees and washing his disciples' feet. What a, what a picture of ministry that is. Look how he sacrificed. He left the comfort and the throne room of heaven. And he took on the cross for our salvation. Greater love has no man than this to live for his friends. You are my friends. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. How can I minister to you? I'm a minister to you. I can be serving you better. And I'm sure we could all say that about our own ministry to one another. But what an opportunity we have. And we imitate Jesus Christ. And finally, point three. Our ministry to each other is costly. Our ministry to each other is costly. Uh, In verse 29, it says this. For this I toil, there's that word again, I toil, struggling with all his energy, his Christ's, that he powerfully works within me. Paul makes it quite clear that the ministry of Christ's gospel is not going to be easy. It's not a walk in the park. It's not easy at all. In fact, it's going to be quite the opposite. It'll be costly and we will suffer. We will suffer from the attack of a number of things. We will suffer from the attack of the enemy. We will suffer from the attack of those who are against the gospel. But what I want us to just think around here is this. We will struggle from exerting and straining and toiling towards seeing people matured in Christ. It's a great opportunity and an absolute joy to do it for one another. It can be difficult. So if you look at the examples of the cost of Paul... In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's quite a long passage, so you can just listen. Um, In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, listen to how much Paul exerts in his toil for the body of Christ. He says this, and remember, when we say this, we're not lifting Paul up. We're lifting Christ who works magnificently through Paul. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. See, his concern is the thing that is the strongest thing that is pointed out there by Paul. He's gone through all of these difficult physical labors, but his concern for the church, his love and desire for the church to grow is what's constantly on his heart. And yet in verse 24, back in our passage, what does it say? He rejoices in his sufferings. I'm just reminded of my dad as he's lifting those paving stones up and he's exerting, but he's loving every moment of it. Folks, what I want to say to us this morning is as we toil for one another, what a privilege we have to exert and toil for one another, to bring one another into maturity with Christ Jesus. We have a great privilege to do that. See, Paul is joyful in his sufferings for two reasons. He sees the progress of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Seeing this is of utmost joy to Paul. It brings him joy whilst he is sat in a prison cell in a dark and dingy, wet prison cell where he knows he's going to die to hear of how his toil has brought maturity in Christ to those believers many miles away. What an example that is of how we can do the same for one another. And two, he is participating in the sufferings of Christ's body, the church. See, in verse 24, on first reading, it can be quite difficult to understand, but it says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. See, what Paul is not saying here, what he's not saying, he's not talking about Christ's salvific suffering on the cross. Because Christ's suffering on the cross is done once and for all. It is finished, Jesus cries out on the cross. So he's not talking about that. And just on that, all of our sins are covered. All of your sins are covered. When Jesus said it is finished and when that curtain was torn in two, that was done and dusted. Our saviour did the work there and then. What Paul is talking about is this. Uh, The body of Christ still suffers today. The church of Christ, us, we still suffer until he takes us home. See, when we suffer in our ministry, we suffer as the body of Christ. Paul takes joy in the fact that he gets to suffer for Christ's church Let me say that again, because that's really powerful. Paul takes joy in the fact that he gets to suffer for Christ's church. We have the honour and privilege of battling for one another. We have the honour and privilege of serving one another and pushing one another towards the goal. Reminding one another to mature in Christ. That's our ultimate goal. That's what Paul says in this passage. And that will be difficult sometimes. It'll be difficult sometimes. But we have the honour and privilege to push one another towards that see jesus knows our sufferings well as well i want us to remind ourselves of that this afternoon that jesus knows our sufferings see he knew what it was like when he ministered for 
his ministry to fall on various different kinds of ears. Um, he knew what it was like to see people respond to his suffering and take it to heart. He knew what it was like when there were people who were slow to hear his ministry. And then he knew what it was like to see people who rejected it completely and reminded of that uh, rich man who just walked away. He knew what that was like. And he understands and sympathises with our suffering in our ministry. His ministry brought him to a crown of thorns and a cross as well. So like Paul, count it joy when you experience suffering and pain in your ministry. Count it joy that we can experience joy in our ministry as well. Because we are toiling and we're working hard for the church of Jesus Christ. And when it hurts as well, when it hurts in our ministry, it brings suffering and it brings toil and graft. Know that Christ sympathises with us too. He walks with us in our ministry. So can I just ask that question to us? Can, can we joyfully toil? Can we joyfully toil for one another to mature the church of Jesus Christ? Can I ask you if you're willing to open up your life to the ministry that most likely, definitely, will bring suffering to see others grow in their knowledge of Jesus? Again, Paul imitates Christ. He's a great example, but not as good as our saviour Jesus, who bled sweat drops of blood for the church when he was in that garden of Gethsemane. That's how much he was straining as he was praying for the church in the future. That's how much he was straining for us. Let's imitate him as we serve one another. So as we close, how do we apply this? What's the application here? The goal of our ministry is clearly explained in chapter 2, verse 5 where it says uh, that their hearts may be encouraged that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ that's the goal what does that look like for us what does that look like for us in our context as we minister as I minister to you as you minister to your gospel community as you minister to your friends and family and colleagues, what, what does that look like for us? How do we point each other to Christ in our own individual ministry and as a church body? How do we do that? How do we toil for one another? We need to be prepared to do three things. And they're costly, but we toil and we, we do this out of joy to see the church grow. The first one is this. We count the cost with our reputation. We must count the cost without reputation see Paul was a great Jewish teacher and a scholar and um, he takes a real hit amongst his peers who knew him in his previous life our reputations will have probably have already taken a hit amongst our friends and colleagues be okay with that be okay with that be okay with the fact that your reputation your earthly reputation more than likely will take a hit because your reputation in front of God grows because of the way we serve one another we have an audience of one now and that is God don't be fearful of what your family and your colleagues and your friends your teammates think about your ministry be open-handed with your reputation be open-handed with your reputation don't be fearful when you send that invite to gospel community to that colleague who you've been desiring to ask for a long time don't be fearful of that be open-handed with your reputation don't be fearful when you offer prayer to a friend. 
who is going through something. Can I, can I pray for you? I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I know that he can, can, can you know, be with you in this moment. I know that he will, he will save you well. He saved me well. Be open with your reputation. See, we are toiling for the maturity of Jesus Christ in people. Don't be precious about your reputation. Be open-handed. Um, Peter describes this really well in chapter 4 of his, uh, of his letter. In verses 14 to 16, he says, When people insult you because you follow Christ, you are blessed. Because the glorious spirit, the spirit of God is with you. Don't suffer for murder or theft or any other crime, nor because you trouble other people. Don't be a trouble to people. But if you suffer because you are a Christian, don't be ashamed. I love this. Praise God because you wear the name. That's the, what a sentence that is. That you wear the name of Jesus Christ. Don't, maybe don't walk around with a t-shirt printed. You could do if you want to. And Johnny probably got a t-shirt that says it. There's nothing wrong with that. But what it means is that it's so evident in your life that you are a servant of the Most High. Praise God because you wear the name. Count the cost with your reputation. Count the cost with our relationships. Who are we associating with? Who are we spending our time with? Is it those who are easy to spend time with? Are we ignoring people who may be different to us? That's not what we're called to do. If we are to be ministers of the gospel, let's spend time with the people who are on the fringes of society. Let's spend time with the people who maybe we wouldn't usually spend time with. We need to toil for others and minister to one another. I want you to think about this. Which relationship can you pour into? Who can you joyfully toil and strive for to see that person's love for Jesus Christ grow? I really need to look at myself when I say this one to myself. I can be so comfortable in the relationships that I have and I need to do better. And we all do, don't we? We could all say that. But Jesus spent time with those on the fringes of society. His relationships that he had, the Pharisees said, what's he doing with them? But Christ, our saviour, God, spent time with every different type of person. He spent time with the fringes of society. He spent time with Nicodemus, who was well, well looked at in the, in, the, in, the, in the society that he was in. Count the cost of our relationships. And finally, which I think is the one that most of us might find the most costly. Count the cost with our resources, with our time, with our money, with our space. I want to I wanna, um, just bless a few of you in this moment because some of you have really shown this in the last few months. Johnny and Lottie and, and Matt and Beth, just the way that you've opened your home and blessed. And Miles, he's upstairs. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. But the way you have ministered in that manner and opening up your homes is a beautiful example of what it means to imitate Christ. And I commend you guys for that. And that is counting the cost with our resources. You guys will have no doubt grown in your love for Jesus in doing this. And, but I'm, I'm sure Miles has experienced Christ in you. And we all, you know, just looking at that, we have as well, seeing your service. Be open-handed with your resources. Often it's these actions which show your love for Jesus the most and we use our resources for God's glory and the good of others. Again, that's, that's countercultural, isn't it? It's countercultural. The things that we might earn at our jobs, most people cling to those things. We're not taking them anywhere after this life. Let's use them in our ministry 
and use them to joyfully toil for one another. Why? Because it points to something otherworldly. Doesn't it? When people see us use our resources for Jesus, that points to something otherworldly. It points to the kingdom of heaven. And that's what our ministry is all about. We want to point people to God. We want to point people to Jesus. And we do these things. We count the cost with our reputation. We count the cost with our relationships. And we count the cost with our resources. Enjoy. Enjoy. Because we're part of a ministry that glorifies Christ. And it grows others. And it grows ourselves as a, um, as a knock-on effect. It grows ourselves in our maturity in Christ. I want to just land with this at the end of the passage in chapter two, verse five. Paul says this, that he was there in spirit and not body. And yet look at how much he loves the people who were thousands. I didn't get the map out before this. Maybe thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away. He's in his prison cell. But he joyfully is toiling for those who are many, many miles away. Folks, we're present here with one another. We are here to physically embody and spirit with one another. So we have a great opportunity to minister to one another. And so let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's leave this place. And as a church body and the circles of influence that we have, let's minister in body and spirit and mind to see Jesus Christ lifted up. Let's be ministers of Christ. Let's joyfully toil for the maturity of one another in Christ, for one another, and for the salvation of souls. Can I pray? And then uh, Matty's going to lead us in worship, and then we'll move to the Lord's table. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for this little church in in Colossae. Thank you for uh, Epaphras and the people there uh, who joyfully toiled for one another. They imitated Paul who imitated your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for those of us who know you, who love you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. May we be imitators of you so that we can see you glorified and that we'd see the church of Christ in this area, in this city, in this country. And we pray in the world that we'd see Christ lifted up and your church strengthened because of our ministry to one another. We don't pray this for ourselves, Lord. We pray this for your glory and for your fame. Amen.